Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Off track with Hinch and Rossi. All right, guys. Hey, Tim, did we ever come up with a name for this segment or no? We sure didn't, but mm. at least we never right. will. Well, at least we never will. And I'd say to the fans, come on Twitter and tell us, but Tim's not going to check it. So don't bother. One day we'll think of a name for the segment where we now interview people separate from the show. And this week we are plus one person and down one person. Alex, not here for this interview, but we are very happy to be joined by Kyle Kirkwood, the young Floridian driver for Andretti Autosport, fresh off victory number two on the season in the career uh, at Nashville. Thank you so much for joining us, bud. Of course, guys. Good to see you guys. So, uh, I mean, we'll just get, let's just get Nashville out of the way first and then we'll backtrack because the people, they want to know, they want to know. Just talk us through your race, man. I mean, I think going into it, people were expecting one thing, given the history of that event. It kind of played out almost the exact opposite to that. Is that something you guys were ready for, waiting for? I mean, how, just, how did your whole day play out? To be honest, I, I said it. So, like, before the race, they put us all on these trucks, right? There was two trucks, and, like, half the drivers were on one truck, half the drivers were on the other. I was on the one with, like, McLaughlin, Dixon, um i think power was on the bus with with me colton was there and all of them were like all right so like what's the over under like how many yellows like how many red flags like what what are we gonna have what's gonna be the longest green flag then and i'm like guys like the, the way you guys are talking it sounds like everyone's gonna be pretty pretty hesitant so i think it's gonna be a pretty clean race i was like we saw it at detroit last year where everyone's like all right well we're gonna start on the greens we're gonna expect it to go yellow blah 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 um and the entire race stayed green so, I mean, we've seen it happen before where it's like everyone builds up this hesitancy expecting yellows and then no one does anything crazy, then no yellows come out, you know? So I think that's kind of, that was kind of the tendency of the race. Yeah, it was, it was, it was shocking. I mean, but I, I'm with you. How many, how many times have we been to a track and throughout practice, there's just people chucking it off left, right and center. And you're like, oh, this race is going to be a disaster. And then you get to the race and everyone's just like totally fine. It's full green. That that was kind of like Detroit, right? It was this year, the, the new track of Detroit, it's like everyone was going in the runoff, um, like every single lap. And you're like, I don't think we can even race here. Like this, this is going to be so dumb. And then the race actually turned out to be a pretty good race. Um, so we, we kind of see that sometimes where, where we expect one thing to happen and then it's the complete opposite because everyone's expecting that to happen. So talk to me a little bit about like the, the team and, and how it all played out because, you know, I, I read one of your quotes after the race where you're like, yeah, we started eighth. It's not like I passed seven guys and just drove to the front because we were so much quicker. You played a perfect strategy. 
you, you from your, you know, from the, from the team side, from your side, you just executed everything. You saved the fuel to do the overcut. You nailed the in-laps, you nailed the outlaps. You did everything you had to do to me. It was such a, it was such a Scott Dixon, Chip Ganassi racing kind of win. Like the number of times that Scott's been like seventh, eighth, ninth. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I didn't see a single, how was he leading the race? I didn't see him pass a single <laughs> car. It's like, how did that all kind of like look from you? Yeah, it, it was completely, it, every, every pass that I made was based on strategy. Um, I would say so. The cars that I passed um, early on in the race, was, which was like um, Malukas, Pato, um, I'm not sure who else, Pelo peeled off into the pits on the first yellow. Um I think, I think there would have been, might've been one or two more, but it was all just based on us being on the primary tires. And we were kind of just walking through the guys that were on the alternate tires. Once those tires started to pull off and they had to keep going along. Um, so we kind of cycled in front of a few people. Um, we passed Colton on the restart who was, was dying on the green tires. Um, what, what else happened? And then we came into the pit strategy where it was like, McLaughlin came in on lap 25 or whatever it might've been 24. I had saved up a bunch of fuel. I'm right behind Roman. Roman comes in. I spray my overtake, do one really good clean lap for, for an in lap. Um, next thing you know, we come out where I don't even see him in my mirror. So we, we kind of, um, overcutted them there on one lap. And then McLaughlin, we were ahead because of strategy, but he was yet to, we still had to run our green tires. Right. So he ran me down when, when we're technically in the lead. I mean, Pelot's in front of me, but we're technically in the lead because Pelot was in such a big fuel save. And I'm so surprised how many laps he did and how much fuel he was able to save because we were like, oh, for sure, he's got to do two more stops. And he didn't. Um, so that was a huge surprise to us. But we, were, we felt like we were pretty much in the lead at that point. And McLaughlin still had his, he's, he, he was just going to finish primary, primary. Um, whereas we're on, on that green tire for a long time. So we almost felt like we were going to get overcut by him. Um, because I actually corded a right front tire and had to pit early on, on the alternate set. I was like, guys, like the right front's gone, something's wrong. And I said, it's the same exact thing that happened to Pato because Pato was out there just nonstop locking up right front tires everywhere. And I could see like the inside shoulder of my tire where there, it looked like there's something weird, like something was coming apart. And once I stopped in pit lane, after I told him like, Hey, we got to pit this lap or else it's going to be catastrophic. Um, I looked at my tire and you could see cords all coming out of the tire. And I'm like, Oh man, that, that's exactly what's going to happen. If I, if we would have went one more lap, I couldn't tell you if I would have been in the wall or not, we would have been really slow. We probably would have lost the race, but it, it, it wouldn't have been good uh, whatsoever if we did one more lap. Um, so fortunately when we did that stop, we came back out, we had a really good out lap. We had some clear track. And we, yeah, so we didn't get held up by any, anyone or anything dumb happened. Um, so we were able to protect from the overcut by being quick on that outlap. So, um, and then it just all worked out in my favor from there on out. Would you say that that moment with the tire was the kind of scariest moment of the race or was the red flag restart? No, hundred percent. It was the tire because I'm sitting there and I'm using like a quarter of the brake pressure that I was using the entire race. And I'm just watching my right front stop like corner after corner. And I'm like, man, this is not good. Like it could, I thought it was going to blow at any second just cause I mean, obviously it can, whenever you're seeing cords like that. Um, that was definitely the more sketchy moment because on the restarts, we know we're pretty good on restarts. 
Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't too nervous about the restarts and you have like a big advantage on, on street courses when it comes to that, especially at Nashville where it's like you restart and all of a sudden you're in like the tightest section ever and no one can pass anywhere and for like another five corners. Yeah. So I, I wasn't too nervous when, when we had the restart, to be honest. And it was fortunate that enough that they swept like the entire track um, while we had that red flag, which is, which is something I didn't expect. I was like, man, the last thing I want to do is like try and warm up my tires um, with all these marbles everywhere um, because you just feel like you constantly pick them up. So it was fortunate enough they, they did that for us. They did it. They went out there and did a full sweep because yeah, I, I saw some comments much. on Twitter being like, why didn't they, why didn't they do it during the red? And we didn't, I guess, notice it on the broadcast, so, but yeah, well they, they sweeped in like a couple of the crucial areas, right? Like for instance, turn 11, like had the worst marbles offline and the, and the line was getting so narrow there. It was like something that you would never do in that corner. Naturally you had to do just to avoid the marbles um just like how narrow and how tight you're like pinching off like three feet of radius of the corner um just because of the marbles and fortunately they swept there they swept like turn one turn two um a few of the crucial spots that you would expect side by side racing on a restart crazy well you held on to it got the victory second on the season i mean you know second year in the series winning multiple races now in a single season is that is that was that expected? Like, is this what Kyle Kirkwood came into twenty twenty three being like? Yeah, I'll got a couple of dubs, no, no big deal. I mean, I don't, I don't know if expected is the right word. I, I felt like we could. Um, so I, I'm not like, like a surprise by it, um, given Andretti Autosports track record, especially at street courses. Right, they're so fast at street courses. So, um, and we have been all year, and and yeah. So I, I don't. Given their, I don't know if track I, I don't know record. Whatever. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um you lost my train of thought now um no but so, so on are you gonna get back they do, they do on really track uh yeah something, Just, something like that i got I mean, can we cut his mic how, how do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> um no so they're, they're really good at street courses like toronto and detroit i felt like we should have won as well um one of us at least right so I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say i expected to win two races but i had a feeling that we definitely so it's not like a huge surprise to me. All right. So that's, that's kind of that. And we can maybe get a little bit more into the rest of the year later, but I want to go all the way back now. I want, I want people to, to know who is Kyle Kirkwood. Uh, obviously born in Florida, raised by the water, a fisherman, I think by, by birthright. Um, but just talk me a little bit through, you know, childhood, young Kyle Kirkwood growing up in Florida. When did you catch the racing bug? You know, what was, what was young life like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up like, like you mentioned, grew up in Jupiter, Florida. Um, my family is huge into fishing and diving. Like we would always spend time over in the Bahamas, uh, which is only what, like 55, 60 miles away from where we're at now. Um, so like that was my whole childhood was, was around like water sports and surfing and fishing, diving, what, whatever it might've been. Um, on the ocean that's kind of like what you do as a kid that lives near the ocean on the east coast of florida um so yeah it, it had nothing really to do with racing until i was about five or six years old which is obviously still very young um but it was it was really just a hobby for us i, I loved all things fast right i loved going fast on boats like when my dad would take me on the boat when i was young um i love we used to have uh, little like 80 cc ATVs and I would always be like on the limiter of the things going down little trails and Jupiter before it was all built up now. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I loved all things fast. And, and at one point my parents got me and my two older brothers, a go-kart for Christmas. And my oldest brother was a soccer player. So he didn't spend much time doing that. And he spent all of his time like in Orlando playing soccer. Um, and my middle brother would get headaches from fumes. So he just wouldn't do it. Oh, wow. So I was the only one that really stuck to it. Um, it was, it was inherited like the go-kart. Pr- pretty much. It was like, all right, well, neither one of them are doing it. So here you go. You can go have fun with it. So I spent, I think, three years um, just driving a cart before I ever did a race, before we ever knew that there was like races in Florida. Um, so that was, it was just something that was fun for me. It was fun for my family to go out to the racetrack and and my dad had friends out there that had kids that were, that were also driving. Um, it's where I met Oliver Askew. Um, so it was, it was something that was just fun for us to do. And there became a point where I started a race in Florida doing like regional and, and local events where people were like, Hey, your son's actually really good. And fortunately, like in the karting scene in, in South Florida, we had like a huge presence of, of professional racing drivers like uh, Oswaldo Negri, Rafa Matos, um, Fittipaldi's were there. I was, I was racing against like uh, Pietro Fittipaldi and Enzo Fittipaldi. Um, the sergeants were there. It's, Stroll it, was there. Yeah. I mean, so, South Florida was always such a, such a hub for karting, right? Cause it's pretty much the best place in the country to be able to race something all year round. So it didn't matter exactly. where in North America or even South America you were from that Florida was always kind of like the, the flashpoint for all the, all the talent from anywhere in the Americas would go there. And so I think being, being born and raised right in the middle of that, you know, level of competition must've just been, you know, such a huge advantage. Yeah, it was, it definitely was. And we didn't really recognize that. Right. Like we don't know as as, like my parents and me as a young, young driver, we didn't know who these people were. We kind of knew that they were like, they were a racing family, right? Yeah. It's like, we're like, okay, they're, they're racing drivers. So they must be pretty good at this. And we're like, kind of basing stuff <laughs> off of them and and they, they took notice of me and noticed that i was pretty good and said hey like you can make a career out of this like if you go and start doing these international events and and move on and try and get sponsors and everything like that so we we took a swing at it we started racing these drivers that were really good and, and i did a really good job when i was like eight or nine years old um continued doing that for like a year or two and the next thing you know i've, I've got a scholarship with with aj allmendinger um, which was like sh- through Shell Pennzoil and and from Eric Jones, who owned Cardsport, now owns GoPro Motorplex in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and from there, I was uh, like a sponsored driver all the way through um, through my karting career, moving up into cars. So that's, I mean, that's kind of something I wanted to touch on. It's, it's one of the worst parts of this sport, right? It's just how expensive it is. And mm-hmm. sometimes that can be a huge barrier to entry. What So look at it this way. What did your parents do for a living like well, how, how did you guys even get into the start of it well at, at the time my, my mom wasn't doing anything she's she, well I, I take that back sorry she she's a she's an art teacher um or at the time she was an art teacher she now owns her her own gallery and her own like practice small school in jupiter florida my dad's a realtor um so we we definitely my parents were definitely not making enough money to fund my racing even in karting um, karting has gotten ridiculously expensive. Now you see figures over in Europe to run karting. It's 250 grand for a season, which is like yeah, out of hundreds control. of thousands. It's you know? mind boggling. Yeah, it's, it's insane. So my parents definitely were, were not funding me, especially when I was on like a national international stage 
in carting um, where there's no way we could have afforded it. So I was fortunate enough that AJ Almendinger had that, that scholarship and I was sponsored by some very influential people in carting. So, so you win this scholarship and this was a, a scholarship for carters to kind of get them into cars. Is that what it was? Yeah. Uh, not, not necessarily. Um, you know, AJ put this thing on. It was, it was uh, through, it was AJ Almendinger slash Waldinger scholarship, which I think Waldinger is, is his company. Um, and it was kind of a reputation. thing that, yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> So he, he, uh, love you, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> he put on this scholarship the year, um, it, it was 2012 and it wasn't really a push to cars. I, I was still too young at that point. Anyways, I think it was more like he, he was also in karting, right. And he just wanted to help a young driver out that, was successful but didn't have all the funding in the world to do it so it was like between me and a few other drivers and fortunately i was the one that he picked and so he was at a lot of events he sponsored me through everything fortunately shell and pennzoil helped out as well um but it was about eight or nine months into it was when he got banned from nascar and right. that whole thing fell off the cliff i lost lost that deal um so i was striving to find somewhere else fortunately eric jones continue to sponsor me, continue to run me because we had a fantastic um, season with, with them between WKA, which is World Karting Association and Florida Winter Tour and whatnot. Um, we had a really good year. So he continued to sponsor me, but then I moved over to Ocala Grand Prix, which is where Oliver Askew was at, a few other drivers, Ashley Rojero, who runs SRX now. Um, it was a handful of us and we were all phenomenal drivers and, and the owner of that team and owner of that track um, also it was big in the Bacardi family. So that's where a lot of that funding came from. And, and he loved just, yeah, George Ariano. So, yeah, so he's sponsoring all of us. And, um, fortunately from there, he sponsored me for three or four years until I moved on to cars. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So he he kind of funded the karting stuff, which is great. I mean, George, I've, I've done races for George. He's helped a lot of people out. He's a great guy. And then what was that first jump up into cars? Did you start in like Skippy or something like that? So um, I got a scholarship in, for Skip Barber. There's been a lot of scholarships in my life, to be honest. Um, so I got a scholarship from karting the same year that I got the AJ Allmendinger scholarship. I won a championship that if, if you won and like got the most poll i think you had to do like a it was like a parlay situation like if you did all these things right um you could you could get i think it was like seventy thousand dollars worth of skippy bucks and you could use it however you wanted to and so um i went and just did a bunch of like school days with barber and i actually only did the the mx5 cars i never did the um the skippy cars so that was that was something that was different for me so then what was the first full series that you ran in cars? The first full series that I actually did was F4. So I, I did about okay. half a season. I did about half a season in 1600 um, until I had a, a substantial wreck. It wasn't like a, a massive one, but I took like two corners off the car and that was kind of like the end for me. I was like, well, we don't have money to, to continue Much racing. Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, there goes all the budget for the rest of the year because we were on a, like the smallest budget we could possibly run, right? Like not buying new tires for, for practice sessions and, and all that stuff, right? Just to run. And then all of a sudden I've got a crash damage that was like $30,000. And we're like, well, that that's depleted all, all of our funding for the year. So I stopped then. I was still carding at the time too. So that it was like an easy fallback to just continue carding. Um, and then the next year is when I took the full step. And that's when I went with Primus Racing. John Betos was the guy who ran that, and I did my first full season of F4, which is a very – it was once again, like, we had no budget. We weren't buying tires, and, and we finished third in the championship, and that's when um, that's when Jeremy Shaw took notice of me. And um, he had me on on his Team USA scholarship where we went over to Europe and whatnot, and that's how I got to know the Capes, and then obviously we had great success with the Capes and whatnot, so – it, there's been always like little ties here and there that, that have brought me into where, where I'm at now. So you, you won the team USA scholarship, you go over to England, you do the Walter Hayes trophy and like some of the coolest, uh, races over in Europe, the most historic, I think, you know, race over there, <clears throat> the list of formula one drivers that have gone through that event and won that event, whatever, uh, pretty big. So that's a big step in the career and huge credit to Jeremy Shaw and everything that he does with the team USA scholarship program. Your buddies, Joseph Newgarden, been on that. Uh, Oliver Askew's been on that. Connor Daly's been on that. A bunch of guys. Um, so obviously, they're pretty good at spotting talent. So you did, so you said this is where the relationship with the Cape started? Yeah, kind of, right? Because the I think Nicholas Cape came to, so we when we did the, the scholarship shootout, which was like, you just go and do some laps and some of the guys watch you and they like pick who they want, want to be the driver. Right. And it's like a, it's like a whole, a, a board of, of people that choose. Um, and it, Nicholas Cape was one of them, Jonathan George, who I'm not sure if you know, who, who has been my driver, who's my driver coach last year. He's now Benjamin Peterson's driver coach. Um, he was there. So that's where I got to meet him. That's where I got to meet Nicholas Cape. Um, and they took notice of me and, and we started trying to work a deal out. 
he saw I did really good in F4 on a team that shouldn't have been doing really good. So they ended up starting a couple F4 cars. Um, and we won that championship with flying colors after team USA scholarship the next year. Um, and then we just took that momentum from F4 to USF 2000 with the capes, um, won that championship with flying colors, 12 out of 14 races, whatever it was that we won. Um, so yeah, and, it, and a lot of it started from that team USA scholarship. So then you say you win the USF 2000 scholarship, and this is now where racing starts to make sense because the winner gets scholarships to move forward to the next uh, championship. So for, I don't know what it was called at the time. It was pro Mazda when I was a kid or star Mazda when I was a kid, it may have been pro Mazda, or maybe it was already us. I have no idea, but you go to the next one. At what point does your relationship with Michael Andretti start? Um, you know, my relationship with Michael started, I'd say it started near Indy lights. Um, it wasn't really, it would have been in closing stages, Indy pro 2000, but I actually, um, had conversations with JF when I was in karting that, uh, I guess no people way. didn't really know. Yeah. It, it just so happened that yeah. one of my dad's friends was, um, had something to do with NBC. I'm, I'm forgetting, uh, who it was at, at, um, right now, but he lives down in Palm beach. We had a meeting with him. He's like, you know who you need to talk to is JF. So we exchanged like a couple emails, but it really never had much traction. And then come Indy Pro 2000, we're once again talking again. And then we realized this was like the same people that we had conversations with like five years ago. And it's funny that we're now transitioning into yeah, yeah. Indy Lights with them, with, with someone back in karting, right? Um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of when, when that relationship started to kick off was was Indy Pro 2000, I would say. They, they watched me through USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000, and then obviously I went in with Indy right. with them. And just for those that know, JF is JF Thorman, who's the right-hand man at, uh, at Andretti Autosport. He's been there forever. Um, so, okay, so you get up into lights, and now rem remind me which way this went. Did What year did you win the lights championship? 21. So two, two years right. ago. Okay, so, so you signed up to go do it in 2020. Yep. And then obviously 2020 didn't happen. So you, you, you won everything up to this point. You have used scholarships and connections and whatever, and you have kind of like defied the odds in terms of motorsports. Cause you didn't come from a ton of money. You weren't <laughs> able to pick up those pieces when it didn't work out. You sort of had to succeed at every level and you did succeed at every level. And now you've been recognized by one of the greatest teams in the sport. They've hired you for your, their Indy Lights program. And it's like, all right, this is like this awesome, cool, big step in my career. And oh yeah, we don't get to do it now because this thing called COVID happened. Yeah. So Lights well, just didn't what was exist it for the 2020 season. <laughs> the light i just can't even acknowledge your face right now with your hair like that so you look like you just got out of bed Tim. i did i did you yeah, did I just 100 percent. you just got out of bed so so you're all amped up for your indie lights debut with this powerhouse indie car team covid comes wipes the season off what was the 2020 what was the year the calendar year of 2020 like for you after that weird i mean it was weird for everyone right not not only myself um like we, we did all the testing everything like it's a huge build up ready for the season like first year like big season for me coming like being with andretti autosports like the coolest thing ever and we show up to st pete and they're like okay we're, we did one practice session they're like okay cut it we're going home 
and it was kind of like okay like what's happening like okay are we canceling like for the weekend like what, what's going to happen next and then all of a sudden they're like yeah. no we're, we're going on a hiatus like we're not racing this year like there's no racing that's going to happen this year and i'm like kind of like oh shit. like i've never been in this position before um like my entire career since the time i was five years old there's never been a time where like i'm not going to drive anything this year like i've never had that moment and um so fortunately enough I was able to get in with, um, with Vassar Sullivan. It was actually kind of through Chris Wheeler. Chris Wheeler got me in contact with, with Sully, who's James Sullivan of Vassar Sullivan. And we kind of had conversations. They put me in a sim day one day and, um, they got me out in a, t- a test at, at Charlotte Roble. I did like two or three laps and I was like within a, a second of Jack's Haw- Jack Hawksworth. And I guess that was like their, their turning point that they're like, okay, this is our guy. Next thing you know, I'm getting a call from him a couple of days later. He's like, "Hey, we need you at Petite. You're going to race that at the at the 10 hour with us, Petite Le Mans." And I'm like, "I've never really done any endurance racing, especially not in WeatherTech." I was like, "Okay, let's do it," you know. And and fortunately, um, I was able to drive with them in um, in the year that we had the hiatus. So I did. Sorry, the first race I did was Sebring because they pushed Sebring so long. That that was the year that Sebring right. was at the end of the year. So I did Sebring, Petite, then Daytona. Um, that kept me very active in like three of the best sports car races that you can do. Um, so that was like a bit of a miracle that all of a sudden, yeah, now I'm driving in like a very prestigious category, which is like, Oh, you'd almost consider it a step up from, from Indy lights. Um, so that was really cool. I was fortunate of that. And I still, now I still have that deal. So there's like uh there's silver lining in, in all of it. Right. Because like, I probably wouldn't have gotten the sports car deal that I have now with, with Bachelor and Solve and, and had all those relationships and learned so much through them with, pit stops and strategy and everything like that. If I didn't have that hiatus, I would have kind of just stepped in without having any knowledge of, of pit stops and whatnot. So um, it's worked out in, in one way or another, if you look at it that way. So my takeaway from this is... Yeah, I'd say you're doing okay. I think, I yeah. think the takeaway everybody should have here is that you like COVID. <laughs> no. <laughs> COVID Definitely was not. a I wanted game. to race Indy Lights that year. Trust me. I wanted to race Indy Lights that year. I'm just saying something good may have come out of it. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm trying to find I'm trying to find the positives, Tim. Let me do that. <laughs> oh, Kyle loves COVID Kirkwood. <laughs> Kirkwood. Yeah, this. So if you hear this, you'll hear this in the broadcast. Uh, my my fearless co-commentator, Johnson Bell, has, has just adopted this little like nickname. It's not a nickname. It's a weird way of saying your name in the broadcast. Where he just goes, Kirkwood. And I imagine if the listeners at home <laughs> have been watching for the last couple of races, you've heard it at some point. And, but he told me he started doing it just because, and we were laughing, how are we going to laugh about it? But they told me he actually got approached you and said, Hey, is, is this okay? Like, are, are we cool with me just saying that? And you're like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know he was doing it. I, like, I haven't watched back to the past couple broadcasts, to be honest. Um, he's like, he came and stopped me and I'm expecting him to ask me like, so like, what do you think about the race? Like, usually you guys come around. They're like, all right. So like, what's the strategy look like? What what tires you started with? Like, what do you feel about today? Like, do you guys feel like you have a fast car? Like, what are you going to be looking to try and get out of this? That's usually like the questions you guys ask. And he's like, so hey man, I've been um, I've been doing this new thing, and everyone thinks it's so funny. Like in, in the broadcast booth, he's like, I've been just whenever I see your name and you like pop up on the screen. I'm just like Kirkwood, and is it all right if I keep doing that? And and I'm like. Yeah, sure. I don't. I don't really care if it's funny. Yeah, keep doing it. 
and that's all he had to ask. Like he didn't care about anything else. Yeah. That's all he wanted to know. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Car's good, by the way. I don't so, know if uh, <laughs> yeah. you want to know anything else. Like, He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool story. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say your name like this, if, if you don't mind. <laughs> well, to all the fans then, when you see Kyle at the track, you know, from, from across the way, just make sure you yell, give him a little cook. Whoop. Please do it. I hope, it, it is pretty fun. I hope you start that. hearing that all over the track. Yeah, that's going to be great. Um, so, so kind of back, I mean, so yes, eventually you do your Indy light season, you win it, you go to IndyCar. We know the rest of the story. We've been watching it. Uh, uh, it's funny. You mentioned that you're the youngest of three. You got two older brothers and what are they up to now? How much older are they? And what do they do now? So my oldest brother is 30 now. He's a, um, he's an appraiser and he's also a realtor and he kind of like, pretty much runs a real estate agency now. So he's, he's doing, he's doing fine. He, he was originally going to play soccer and whatnot, but it's good where he's ended up. He's, he's doing all right. Um, and then my, my middle brother also, he owns a plumbing business. So he, and he's actually okay. doing my house probably as, as I, as we speak, I'm, I'm building a house in South Florida right now. So, um, and he's probably doing all the plumbing at the moment. All grown up Kyle Kirkwood yeah. building a house in South Florida. Yeah. How's that process been? I hate all it's renovations, terrible, all anything. Yeah. I thought it was going to yeah, be so much cooler and it is not, it's not fun no. at all. The permitting and probably, inspections and everything like that is the worst thing I've ever done. You probably, did you talk to Joseph at all about this? Cause that's the only no. psychopath I've ever met that truly loved building a house from scratch. Like he loved every single bit of it. I haven't spoke to him, but yeah, I could see him liking it. Yes. Right, because he's got that <laughs> kind of serial killer vibe to him, so it seems a, like a little bit. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've so covered this. We all we all know that he is a serial yeah. killer. Yes, the 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 diehard listeners of Off Track know our opinion on Joseph Newgarden from a you know serial killer standpoint, um, <laughs> which is if you were to pick one driver in the IndyCar series that's most likely to have bodies in the basement, it would probably be Joseph. Uh, Will is a close second. He's a popular Ooh. second choice. I think Newgarden's yeah. up there too. Uh, Oh, you know what? Yeah, you could. I, Lundgaard could enter the chat. I could see that. That's that's not a bad shout. Yeah, um, but no, de- definitely will. So I agree. We'll, uh, we'll leave you with this. We really appreciate the time, man. It's it's been great getting a chat, and uh, congrats on all the success. But we have four races left. We have Indy Road Course. We have Gateway, and then we, of course have Portland Laguna to wrap it up. Um, you know, nobody's going for a championship at this point. Uh, that's pretty much done and dusted. So everyone's kind of free to just roll the dice and go big for wins. Is that kind of the mentality uh, that you have on the 27 crew week in and week out now going forward? I feel, I feel like that's kind of been the mentality since Detroit. I feel like that that's kind of been the <laughs> mentality enough. since Detroit, to be honest. Like we, we've been kind of pretty far out of the championship for a while. So we're like, okay, do we care if we finish 11th or 7th in the championship? Not really. We kind of just want to go win races now. <laughs> so, so that, I mean, that's, uh, yeah. So that, that's kind of where, where we sit at the moment, but we also, we also want to look like championship caliber, um, like a cha- championship caliber team to, to close off this season, the last four races. I mean, if we get some more top fives and stuff like for, it's, it's so weird. It's like, I've gotten two top fives in, in my Indy car career 
and two of them have been wins. They're both wins. And it's like, and, yeah. and it doesn't look very championship caliber, right? It's like, okay, we need to get some yes. more of those. They, they don't need to be wins, all right? They don't have to be. Let's just get right. that like that top range. Let's um, let's get some third to sevenths up yeah, on the board just yeah, for fun, exactly, you know? <laughs> right? It's like, man, it's it's frustrating almost. <laughs> that was, like we've been there so many times, and it's just like, okay, either win or now you're fifteenth. So, I mean, that, so, that's really the mentality that we have at the moment is is looking like championship caliber. But if we can go for a win, we're going to do everything we can to go for that win. Okay. One word answer. Which of the four tracks has your best chance of a win moving forward? I'd say Laguna. All right. Just because it's I'd unknown with the repave? Yeah, and we were really good at, at Road America with the repave. So good point. good point. Yeah. Well, we're, we're always pretty bad on deg, I would say like degradation and the new pavement, like anywhere that we have any type of new pavement, our degradation goes way down. Um, so, yeah. so it should see, and that was already a really good track, even though it was such high deg, it was already a really good track for, for Andretti. So fingers crossed, I think. Fingers crossed. All right, man. Well, hey, best of luck for the next four. Congrats again on win number two at Nashville and really appreciate you coming out. We'll see you in a couple days. Of course. Thanks, James. See you, Tim. This has been Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Off Track is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. We're at Ask Off Track on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to follow us on Twitter individually, I'm at Hinchtown. He's Alexander Rossi. And if you want to follow Tim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube and subscribe to our channel for exclusive video content. Off Track is produced by Tim Durham. And by that, we mean Tim. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.